you freaking auto? This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Oh, let's go. It is the Brock and Saul Show. Seattle Sports on 710 seattlesports.com. And the Seattle Sports app, plus all those podcast platforms out there as well. Good to be with you guys this morning. Oh, man. Mariners are two games behind Texas. It's two. It's down to two. Watch the Mariners cruise to victory yesterday and then sweat it out. The 11th inning of the Rangers-Diamondbacks game. Yes, my daughter Avery did ask me if D-backs was a real team. Yes, that actually happened yesterday. So D-backs. Is that a real team? Like, yeah, they're in Arizona. I was like, oh, okay, I get it then. Uh, so, yeah, what a day uh, yesterday. It's good to have Justin back this morning. Good Justin, morning, hello. sir. How are you? Terrific. You're back? I'm back. You, you were missed. I appreciate that. Well, did, I, did I miss any terrific rankings and any terrific Mora performances that you pretended she hated ranked or anything I like mean, that? I mean, no. There were some good ranking. Mora was kind of, you know, I would say unhelpful. Okay. So she didn't really. She didn't really. Course, now, what do you, yeah, you know what? I rolled in all of your f- stupid songs and so I played them. This is what happened. Yeah. Yes, and, then, yes. and then she missed some obvious ones, which was really disappointing. Oh, Excuse me. Right. It was the whole thing. We Yeah, it was bad. We ranked Cowboys and missed, oh. like, the, missed the Joker. The r- you missed the Joker? Yeah. Steve Miller Band. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Some people call yeah, me the Space, people, Cowboy. Space Cowboy. I mean, like, it was super embarrassing. Yeah, so it's yeah. good to have you back. Well, I appreciate kinda, him. Appreciate kind of need you here. Uh, Mariners didn't need you. They just kind of did They most certainly thing, did not. Great. Uh, one thing I love doing when I first come into uh, the studio in the morning is I get to see the texts that have come in overnight. And recently, they've just been getting better and better. So here's a couple that I see from last night. 253 at 8.08 p.m. last night. Great win. I'm sorry. Hold on. Wait. Uh, new record. Larry sulked it after the first inning. <laughs> first of all, I like that my dad is becoming a verb. I think that's always yeah. that's a good sign. That is one thing you missed while you were gone, Justin. The Larry sulk, sulk rule has just become a phenomenon. That Royal Series really, really increased yes. the visibility. Oh, man, that was some very fun, weird baseball there. My for dad's been getting so cocky about it, too. It's obnoxious. Like, he really feels empowered. He <laughs> offered to sign Brock's jockstrap. It was a whole thing while you were gone. Jeez. Yeah, I got another one here from the 509 that says, my nine-year-old son asked me if we're going to do the Larry Salk rule tonight. I said, heck no. I want to see how many runs they can push across. You know what? I actually had the exact same feeling. It's like my family's like, hey, let's go for a walk. I was like, you know, let's at least wait until uh, after the ninth because I kind of just want to see if they could tee off some more. And, you know, they brought in some six foot nine behemoth in the ninth inning and they had no problems knocking him around, too. So, yeah, that was pretty great. Those were uh, those are good texts that we get last night. I also got Miguel in Bellevue who says the moves at the trade deadline were spot on. No more A.J. Fishhead and Colton wrong. And what's that gesture Canzone always makes when he get on gets on base? Well, I think it's sort of an Italian gesture, right? Yeah. He's sort of an. They're, the, they're kind of known for talking with their hands. There's an emoji for it and everything now. It's like the the Italian chef hand emoji. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and I then like the four six nine says, "I sound like I'm in a bathroom." I, do I sound echoey here? I'm down at Seahawks bit, facility. Yeah. What's up with that? 
I'm on the same headset I normally use. Maybe I'll try a different one here in a minute. I, I'm down at Seahawks facility. Brock's going to be here in a little bit. We're interviewing Geno Smith today at 730. I'm not in the can. I promise. I'm in the normal studio that I'm always in when I'm down here, so I don't know what's going on with the uh, microphone. I will uh, endeavor to get that fixed in about it's, five minutes. It's slight. You're, you're, it's you're slight? listenable. Yeah. Oh, I'm listenable. There, oh, well, this, that's, maybe that, we have a sound engineer in the audience. That's how I've always uh, described our show. <laughs> how is the Brock and Salk show? You know, Brock's really good. I'm listenable, I guess, at best. Yeah, that's how I always... It's it's only a slight difference. It's not like we hear okay, a giant good. echo every time you talk. You're, All right, you're okay. Well, that's good to hear. All right, anyway, we'll down here today. Geno Smith's going to join us at 7.30. Uh, he's not the only one, though. Jeff Passan at 8.30 this morning. And then just because the Mariners are on such a roll, uh, we worked it out late last night. We're going to talk to Josh Rojas at 9.30 this morning, who's supposed to be a great dude. Just talking to some folks in Arizona, you know, where the D-backs play, despite my uh, daughter's disbelief. Um, he's supposed to be just an awesome, awesome guy. Manager loved him. Teammates loved him. So looking forward to talking to Josh at 9.30 this morning. After a rough start, he has come on and been really good here over the course of the last week or so. So that's been pretty darn cool. A uh, couple of just Mariners thoughts after watching them just batter the White Sox last night. First of all, that White Sox team stinks, and they're dislikable. I don't know what it is about them, but I don't care for them. I don't like the way they play baseball. It's one thing to be bad, like the A's. It's another, and or, or the Royals, who are a bad team that I came away being, you know, with a lot of respect for. They play the game hard. They go after you. They swing at everything. They make contact. I feel like that. You know, look, they can't pitch. What are you going to do? But that's a likable team. Like, if I were in Kansas City... I would be frustrated that my team doesn't have any pitching, but also excited about maybe where some of those bats are going. If I was in the south side of Chicago, that would be terrible. That I think team it's all is... because of those uniforms. No, the uniforms are the only redeeming factor. I, no. I kind of like those. Yeah, I don't They're love horrible. Those. You don't like those? I don't love those. Oh, I kind of do. I kind of. I, I. I thought they were pretty cool. I like the black with the pinstripes. But regardless. They're terrible, and I don't care for them. Well, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't help what you've heard over the last couple months here either. Where that's kind of come out after, uh, you know, the lack of leadership and the no accountability, and it's like, well, that starting kind of looks like it checks out here, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, they look exactly like a team with no leadership, no accountability, and no real desire to play the game of baseball, which is just too bad. So go ahead, do what you're supposed to do, sweep this terrible, awful, obnoxious baseball team, and just kind of move on. Uh, second thing. For everything we've mentioned yesterday, right, we had a whole long conversation trying to figure out what it is that has allowed this team to play better since June. And, you know, we went through Scott and Julio and the core and the bench and all of that. All of those things are still there. But more of a of sort of a, a broader scale, the thing that I think I'm noticing most is just the quality of the at-bats. They're just swinging at fewer bad pitches. Their working counts, especially early in, early in games. They're driving the starters out of those games fairly early. It hasn't been every single night, right? Obviously, you had a couple of games in there where you get shut out. But other than that, they've done a heck of a job of working counts, beating up on bad pitching, forcing good pitching out of the game early when they have that opportunity. And you put that together, you end up with the kind of run that the Mariners are on where, once again, they've now won seven in a row and they just keep, you know, ticking off wins. 
And they've had a couple of these nights where they win and everybody else loses. And the next thing you know, you're a full game clear of, of Toronto. You're four games clear now of Boston. You're still half a game behind Houston. And I'm going to keep saying it. Passon's going to come on here at 830 and he's going to rip me because he still believes in the Rangers. And that's fine. Rangers are a good team. They are a good team. They're not a great team. And they're not as good as people thought they were a couple of months ago. And I've been beating that drum for as long as the season has been, and I'm going to keep on beating it. They're not a great team. They're okay. They're, they're okay. They're a good team. I don't think they're significantly better than the Mariners. Who would I take in a, in a series between the two teams right now? It's a good question. Yeah, the Rangers have some better hitting. I think the Mariners have better pitching. And I think generally when you get to October, pitching is going to carry the day. I'd also be curious to see what those Rangers hitters look like when you get into some lousy weather, which often happens at the end of the year. And all of a sudden, instead of games going eight to six, games go two to one. That's playoff baseball. So we'll see. But we'll see what the Rangers look like down the stretch. So far, anyway, uh, they've been good. And over the course of the last month, they've not really been great. So we'll, we'll keep watching that one. The other thing to note yesterday, and it's now the second time in a row, that Castillo has come up in his turn in the rotation after a game that completely wrecked the bullpen. Right, The last time he was, <laughs> the, the whole bullpen was destroyed after some of those crazy games in Kansas City, and he just found a way to grit through seven innings. Not a lot of strikeouts. But just, hey, I'm going to make it through seven innings. I'm going to pitch to contact fine. Well, yesterday, he does exactly the same thing. He just did it better. 47 straight fastballs. It's remarkable. It's unbelievable. I saw Brett Saberhagen do that once, and I think he pitched a complete game shutout. It was unreal. I think he only threw fastballs the entire day. Castillo basically did the same thing. And like Saberhagen, he moved them around. He spotted them well. And he's got two types of fastballs. Right, he's throwing his his two seamer, the the, the uh, sinker, and he throws the four seamer, and they couldn't touch him. He's just getting out after out after out. They needed him to go seven innings. The only relievers they needed to use yesterday were Bastardo and and McCacken, and that's what they needed to do. They needed it. Boom, bullpen rested, all set, and now you get Wu back tonight. And if he's not able to go deep in this game. At least your bullpen's ready to go, thanks to what your ace did yesterday. I love it. Just a great, great, great night for the Mariners. They get J.P. Crawford back, and they're sure as heck going to lead off need to know. We'll play you the Cal Raleigh home run and everything else you've got to hear. Coming up next, I'm Brock and Salk. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, no, Julio, no problem. The Mariners gave their red-hot star a day off yesterday, and they didn't need him. They just kept on hitting without him. They score five in the first. They never looked back from there. This was an all-out barrage. Here's the pitch to Cal, swinging a drive. Deep to right field again, and goodbye baseball. The big dumper does it again. Cal Raleigh with his second home run of the ball game. Way out of here to right field to the top row. The bleachers in right. Holy smokes, five RBIs on the night for Cal Raleigh. It's a three-run blast here in the top of the eighth inning. And it's now the Mariners 12 and the White Sox 1. What a night. 
Burkell Raleigh. Yeah, he would add another RBI to make it six. How about another home run from Teo? One from Dom Canzone. They were just ridiculous. Add in multi-hit nights. From those two, Suarez, France, Rojas, just unreal. Luis Castillo did the rest. He goes seven. Mariners win it. 14-2, cut three. Scott Service, pretty happy with his team's effort. I think our guys right now are very focused. They should be. You know, we have a lot to play for. We're playing good baseball. Uh, we're having quality at bats up and down the lineup. It's a lot of guys contributing. Obviously, Cal Raleigh, a huge, huge night tonight, but Teo's been, been hot. You know, Ty continues to get his knocks. Uh, JD hadn't played, <laughs> JP hadn't played in a while, so it's just good to get him back out there, and, and he'll start picking it up too. But everybody contributing. That's what it's been here for the last couple weeks. Yeah, throw in a nice performance from Luis Castillo. That's uh, just a really, really good night for the Mariners. Roster moves before the game. Emerson Hancock goes to the IL as expected. Darren McCacken called up, gave him a little depth in the pen. He threw the ninth inning. I would assume he'll be sent back down as soon as today to make room for Brian Wu, who will start tonight. J.P. Crawford activated as well. He did walk twice, and yes, it was Sam Haggerty sent back to make room. After the game, I sat around and watched the Rangers lose in the 11th inning, thanks to some former Mariners, Cattell Marte, with a game-tying home run, and then Paul Seawald pitched a scoreless 10th, so the Mariners pick up another game. They are just two now behind Texas. They pick up half the game on Toronto, so they're a full game clear of the Jays. Houston did come back to beat Boston, so the Mariners remain a half game behind the Astros, but they do grow their lead to four over the Red Sox. How about that? They'll be back at it tonight in Chicago. Brian Wu, as I said, against Mike Clevenger, who's obnoxious to watch, and he pitches for the White Sox. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, the public portion of training camp now over, but the hard work continues for the Seahawks. They practice today before the final preseason game Saturday morning in Green Bay. Still some really important storylines to follow, including how some of these injured guys that need reps before the season begin are able to get back out there. Will we see fifth overall pick Devin Witherspoon get on the field this week? I'd like to hope so. How about fourth rounder Cam Young, who's supposed to play a big role in this defensive line? Where's Jordan Brooks and his comeback attempt? How close is Jamal Adams? What about Ken Walker? So, yeah, some real significant names. In the meantime, people are starting to wake up and notice that the Seahawks are a little better than maybe everyone thought. Let's start with Peter King, who was uh, impressed. I think Seattle is sneaky, dangerous. I went to their game on Saturday night, and Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be a problem. I think he's going to make instant impact. And I think... Geno Smith, nobody is a fluke if you do it for a full season. He's no fluke. This guy is a good NFL quarterback. So I think they're going to be a dangerous team. Look, everybody looks at the NFC West and hands it to San Francisco. Totally understand that. But as I wrote in my column today, you know, the 49ers, every single year except 2019, they've had a massive quarterback issue or issues. So, you know, you never can tell what might happen, but I think Seattle is going to give the 49ers a run for it. Well, that would certainly be nice. I love this whole idea of people in football being a problem. Would you say if Julio Rodriguez played football, they would say he's a problem right now? Because I think so. He's sort of a problem to get out for other teams. Uh, Nice, though, to see the people starting to notice what's going on here in Seattle. And, yeah... I think this team is going to challenge San Francisco, assuming they can stop the run, and that's going to be the biggest question mark. Yeah, I think they got a lot of the other pieces in place to try to make that happen. 
Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, not a huge surprise yesterday, but still a bummer to see Jen Cohen leave the University of Washington to take the same post as athletic director at USC. Been kind of an interesting run for her. I was going through it last night and realizing all the things that have happened during her tenure. The Huskies made the college football playoff. Chris Peterson left. Jimmy Lake completely fell on his face, but then Kalen DeBoer showed some real early signs of success. Lorenzo Romar was dismissed. Mike Hopkins has struggled. Some excellent years and softball and women's hoops and men's baseball and the new deal with Adidas and the move to the Big Ten. Like, there's a lot that has happened under Jen's uh, tutelage there at the University of Washington. She is, uh, you know, a little bit bittersweet for her as she heads back to where she's from in California, but I think we'll miss it here in, in Seattle. I've worked in college athletics and higher education for the last three decades, and there is no place that has afforded me more opportunity than the University of Washington. I wanna take a moment to thank President Kause at UW for one, believing in me, developing me, caring about me and caring about our student athletes. I loved all of our coaches. I, I wish them the best, our coaches, our staff, our student athletes, our fans, our alums. 25 years in college sports, all the coaches and administrators are here, you know, that's a long run to make so many memories and, and create um, so many special accomplishments together. And so UW is always going to have a very special place in my heart, except for any time they play the Trojans, right? <laughs> well, Jen's good people, excited for her, happy for her. But again, if you're UW, I think this is just sort of firmly showing where you're at in the college athletics landscape, right? You were not the teams that the Big Ten truly wanted, but you're ahead of the teams that they didn't want. You're not a t- not a group that, you know, a school that can't draw an impressive athletic director. This is two in a row who have turned out to be real good ones. But you're also not a school that's probably going to keep one forever because the best and the brightest end up going to places like LSU and USC. So I think it's a, a, a telling situation for where you're at at UW. And not necessarily good news or bad news, just sort of news. All right, there you go. That is... Everything you need to know, and we do that quarter past to every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. I, I've seen texts like this one a lot from the 253, and I don't really know what to make of it. Should I be taking these seriously? Witherspoon's going to be a bust. Should have picked Carter. That's the text. Are you asking if you should take it seriously? How seriously should I take those? I mean, like, it, it's we haven't played one regular season game. I mean, like, I, I appreciate the desire to be first, right? Hey, I called it. Yeah, right. Right, just like the people who were first this year to say that the Mariners were done. Like, yeah, you called it. That's one route to go. You just got to get that in there. Well, I just, you know, it's good to be first. <laughs> you mentioned it a couple times yesterday. It's good. I, you know, I don't want to rub it in. I don't want to be a jerk yes, you do. to people. Oh, you no, I don't. Do. I don't want to do that. That's not this nice. This is like that thing when you say no offense to someone. You keep, Yesterday, five million times, you said, I don't want to be a jerk that rubs it in. I'm trying to let you. trying to be transparent about how. Trying to be transparent about how I'm feeling, about where I'm at, and what's You've, difficult for me right now. Transparent this, is something that you've, I, you are definitely being. I the, miss this. Show has always been an opportunity for me to, you know, be transparent about who I am and what I think. That's all. 
I think it's a little early to call Devin Witherspoon a boss. Yeah, I just want to know what data they have that nobody else does. Well, I just think that's impressive. Good for you, 253. You're on it early, and if you turn out to be right, you can call in and gloat one day. Well, Well, Jalen Carter has just as much of a chance at being a bust at this point. We know he showed up to his workouts out of shape. Like We know that there have been some questions there. Witherspoon's a bust. They should have picked Carter. (laughs) All right. Uh, Geno Smith, who we just mentioned, will join us coming up an hour from now at 7.30. Yesterday, we had the privilege of speaking to the guy who decided to go off for two home runs and six driven in. That would be Cal Raleigh, and you'll hear it next. This this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Here's the stretch. And the 3-2 pitch swing and a fly ball deep to right field. Way back, going and going. And goodbye baseball off the windows of the Hit It Here Cafe. Cal Raleigh, the big dumper, with a two-run blast here in the bottom of the eighth inning. His 19th home run of the year, way out to right. We talked about his penchant for big home runs in big situations, and it gives the Mariners a 3-1 to one lead here in the bottom of the eighth inning. Holy smokes, what a shot by Cal Raleigh. More remember that that's how you say big dumper with uh, confidence with uh, with really knowing that it feels good saying it and it's the right thing I to say. I thought I figured it out after you guys had me practice. Yeah, I don't know why yeah. you played that call. I mean, Mora's call. That's I mean, true. Rizzer was, was great, bad. but yeah. Mora was. Wanted to, just wanted to remind you what that's like, and especially as we have Cal joining us right now, the big dumper himself. Cal, good morning. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So when you hear that and you hear Riz uh, with the call and kind of take you back to another one of these big moments, first of all, do you ever get a chance to hear those? Do you ever get a chance to hear those Rick Riz calls? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I get to uh, – anytime I get to hear, you know, Rick or Dave and their calls, it's it's always special. And, you know, they do a great job. And I know we all enjoy, you know, having them call our games and uh, getting to hear their, uh, their uh, special calls. You ever hit one like that at Smoky Mountain High School, or how about down in Tallahassee? <laughs> you ever hit a ball like no, that? Four fifty. No, not yeah, not like that in high school. So I, uh, there's actually one year in high school where I only hit one home run. So is it true? Oh, wow. Yeah, what were you, what were you playing in? Like the old polo grounds? Like how is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just hadn't really. It's kind of awkward. Uh, you know, I was kind of tall and lanky. hadn't grown into my body yet. Yeah. I said more uh, gap to gap shots. I mean, I've told you, Salk, you grow into power. I mean, right. How many, how many you learn times power. <laughs> we learn power? You got to talk about that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Cal, it's been an absolute blast, man. This team over the last, what, 44 games, 31 and 13. From your perspective, Salk and I have spent a lot of time trying to figure it out. Ultimately, you know, baseball is just baseball at times. But from your eyes and your perspective, what has turned? Uh, you know, I just think we're, you know, we're playing in cleaner, cleaner game baseball. You know, I think the pitching has definitely always been there all year. And, um, you know, I think you're starting to see a lot of, you know, a lot more better time in the hitting, you know, two out hitting, which I think that's what good, good teams do. Um, especially the ones that are in the playoffs late in the year. Um, they come together and they get the hits when they need to. And we seem to be getting those, those big key hits, you know, late in games, uh, with two outs in the inning. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing now. And, you know, throw the, the really good pitching on top of all that and it makes a good recipe. How much of that is approach versus execution? 
Um, I mean, it's more execution, really. I mean, you know, you can you can have the greatest approach in the world and still not execute. It's it's how baseball is. You know, unfortunately, you don't you don't get to choose your outcomes when you're a hitter. Uh, you can hit, you know, really hard balls right at people and you know kind of get that bad luck bug, kind of like we had earlier in the year. But um, you know, we we knew that if we just kept our kept a good approach and kept grinding and kept staying with it, that you know things would eventually turn. And that's kind of how baseball baseball is. Can you define clean baseball for me? You've said that a couple different times, Cal, and, and even in some of the stretches that were a little bit unclean and rougher, you know, you were some of the voice there to say, you know, we're just not playing clean. We're just not playing our brand of baseball. If you were, if you were the skipper, right, coaching a, a young team and you wanted to define what is clean baseball, what is it? Yeah, I think, you know, we talk about all the time, you know, 27 outs, you know, not giving any outs away, you know, whether it's on the base pass, whether it's, um, you know, errors in the field, whether it's, um, you know, free bases, giving up walks, uh, you know, strikeouts and when you're in the batter's box, when you're able to put more balls in play. And uh, usually when that happens, you know, you can you can make things happen, put the pressure on the other team, they make errors, you know, balls find holes, things like that. Those are kind of uh, what we talk about when we're talking about clean baseball. Well, I don't know what you describe what Julio's done over the course of the last week or so. Clean is probably just the very beginning of it. Maybe it's dirty. I don't know. What Julio's done is absurd. Have you ever... Oh, no, you, no one's ever seen anything like it. But I guess I should say, what does it look like from up close? What does it look like from the dugout or the on-deck circle, what he's done? It's uh, it's really impressive. You know, he's, he's, he's on one of those heaters right now. And um, when, when, usually for, for most of us, not 17 hits in four games but it's uh it's it's a lot of fun to watch and you know he's definitely a special talent and he's he's making us go right now it's it's big it's a big pickup especially when you know jp crawford's out right now and he's uh kind of took off in that leadoff role and he's um gave us a little spark brock and i often say that we've noticed that when people players have been around the game their whole life broadcasters etc we find them chuckling at the things Julio does as if like they laugh because they just don't know what else to do. They've never seen anybody else do anything like that. How often would you say he makes you just sort of laugh in, in, in amazement? Yeah, this, yeah, this, um, yeah, this little stretch he's been on, has been super impressive. It's just like you're in the dugout watching, he gets another hit and it's just, you just look around the dugout and everybody's just kind of like, throws their hands up and it's like, of course he did. You know, it's, uh, it's impressive. Cal Raleigh here with us for a few more minutes from Chicago. You know, obviously the position you play as that catcher is a little, a little bit like a linebacker or quarterback right in the middle of everything, kind of a leader, leadership position just by its nature, Cal. And we've talked to you about that in the past. I'm kind of curious. Uh, one of your newer teammates, Canzone, said that, you know, with JP being out the last week, he's felt Julio really emerge and kind of grow in some of that leadership. Not that he wasn't before, but you know, with JP being out, he just stepped right into it. How would you kind of characterize JP and Julio? Julio's forms of leadership are they similar? Do they come at it a little differently? Um, you know the the you know every every guy on our team's different. They come from different places. Um, they respond to different things. And you know, right now, I think Julio's doing a good job of you know getting the things going, kind of like JP has. JP, you know, gets on base. He has tough abs. Um, he puts the pressure pressure on you know opposing teams. And um, right now, Julio's doing it. You're seeing a little more power, a little more, a few more hits here and there. But um, it's really impressive, and it's a lot of fun.
How hard are those off days for you? A day game after a night game, and then you got to take a you know sort of a mandated break from catching. How difficult are those days for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, you get you get accustomed to a schedule of a few night games in a row, and then you got to wake up super early and get going the next day. Uh, it's a little hotter. Everybody's a little more a little more tired, but you know, it's just kind of how it is, and it's kind of how baseball's always been. And you just got to develop good routine. When you're sitting on the bench, though, and you don't get an opportunity to play in that game for the first six or seven innings, are you a guy who's sort of chomping at the bit? What do you do on the in the dugout during those games? Yeah, I mean, you know, we play, uh, as you guys know, we play a lot of tight games. So, I'm, uh, you know, the first three innings, I, I try to, you know, take a seat, watch the game, see what's going on, uh, kind of see, you know, the what's how the game's rolling, see where it's heading, and... um you know, once the around, you know, the fifth, fourth, fifth inning, I start, you know, stretching out a little bit, getting a little loose, uh, trying to get ready because, you know, I know, uh, you know, I might get a pinch hit or might have to head into the game there soon. So it's, um, it's about three innings of uh, just, you know, watching the game. And then after that, it's, it's, it's go time. You know, a lot of people getting a ton of credit, rightfully so, here, just like last year in that playoff run. One guy that we hardly talk about. We hear his name. He'll come out to the mound with you, Pete Woodworth, the pitching coach. And I said the last last week to Salk, I'm like, man, we got to start talking about this. I, I know the skip is is the manager and he's a catcher and it's pitching, pitching, pitching. But there's got to be something to this Pete Woodworth guy because everybody you bring up from Arkansas, everybody you trade for, everybody that comes in, just seems to, from our perspective, Cal, seamlessly fold right into the expectation level uh, with the Mariners and the Mariners pitching. Can you tell me from your day-to-day, your meetings with Pete, what, what does he do? How does he bring out the best in this pitching rotation? Yeah, Woody, Woody's great. You know, he keeps things simple, which I think is what, you know, a lot of good coaches do. They don't overcomplicate it. They don't try to, you know, reinvent the wheel. He's he keeps things simple. He keeps people aggressive. He keeps people, um, you know, he keeps people involved. So, you know, you never know when you're going to get your, your number called here. And um, He's done a great job. I think we, you know, we have a great relationship. We He coached me in double A. Um, you know, I've known him for a while now. And, you know, I feel like we've definitely learned a lot of things from each other. And we're definitely on the same page. And, you know, when pitching coach and catchers are on the same page, usually it's a lot easier for pitchers to get on board as well. Hey, last thing for me, Cal, um, on these road trips and your downtime, we catching up on Florida State Seminole football at all? Do we have a feel for how camp is going? I'm kind of removed from the ACC. Do we have a, we have a sense of where the Knolls are going to be? Well, I mean, the big talk this, this summer has been the, the conference realignment. So they, yeah. uh, you know, from what I've heard, it's been, it's been a mess. Um, you know, obviously Washington just moved to the, was the Big Ten? Am I correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so I've heard I've heard up. rumors. I know it's it's kind of a shame because you you know you grow up, and, you know, you the conferences and the rivalries, and now it's kind of all gone. You know, everything's all a mess now. But yeah. I last last I looked, Florida State's uh, you know eight in the polls, and I know they got a big a big one against LSU here coming up soon. I think it's Labor Day weekend, I believe. Yeah, yep, um, yep. let's go. I'll definitely be trying to yeah, I'll definitely be trying to turn tune yeah. in for that one for don't, sure. Don't worry, they'll all be in the SEC eventually. There'll just be one conference. It'll be the yeah. SEC, and everyone will one, have to one mega conference. Yeah, just yep. and then they'll divide them into divisions. It'll be the Atlantic Coast Division and the Pacific Division and the yep. Big Ten Division, and it'll basically go right back to where we were before. Hey, last thing for me, and, and maybe it's more of a serious question, but I, I did want to ask you about it. Take me back if you. 
could three weeks ago was the trade deadline and the team makes the decision to trade Paul and bring in a couple of young bats. What, what was that day like for you guys and, and sort of the reaction to it? Yeah. I mean, you know, if I'm being honest, I don't think it was a real popular move. Everybody loved Paul and Paul did a lot for this team and a lot for this org. Um, and, you know, he was great for us all year long. You know, closing out games is not an easy role. And when you trade trade a guy like that, you're going to, you know, people are going to be a little upset. But we understood, you know, we have to keep going. We can't we can't sit and, you know, worry about things that we can't control. And um, we have a job to do. And our job is to make the playoffs. Our job is to win a World Series. And it's it's with whatever team that we're given. So we're uh, – We've done a good job of kind of putting that to the side and not not worrying about things that we can't control and um, you know give uh, you know the two guys that have come in you know give them a lot of credit Rojas and Canzone they've done great and um, you know you know we've had uh, some bullpen guys step up into some new roles and some challenging roles and they've take they took it and ran and done a great job as well so we're uh, we're excited about where we're at. Well, certainly you played some great baseball over the course of those few weeks. I'll just end with a confession, Brock. I know you don't like when I do this, but I got to confess. After watching you and Logan and your, you know, attempt to uh, mouth words to each other, I I now can't watch you guys meet at the mound. I laugh every time you're out there talking. I know you're having like a serious conversation about what he can do better. And I just, I can't stop laughing. I'm, I'm literally laughing out loud at my house watching you talk to Logan. So I just, I wanted to confess that to you before. Before you go well our conversations usually are uh, are pretty light and pretty funny so they're uh, they're not too serious all the time well that's good I'm, I'm glad to hear that even when he's uh, as intense as he is on the mound that he can uh, chuckle a little bit cal we appreciate it. it's been so much fun watching this team over the course of the last what month and a half or so we'll uh, we'll keep doing it enjoy the rest of the road trip we'll talk to you soon yeah i appreciate it guys have a good one yeah, he uh, did that interview with us yesterday, went out there, smacked two home runs, three hits, six RBI, no big deal, just a uh, night in the park for uh, Cal Raleigh, who apparently is now going to have to join us every night. I don't know. Uh, Josh Rojas is going to do it today at 930, and we'll see if that uh, sends him out on a tear. Maybe he'll hit two home runs tonight. Unlikely. He also had a pretty good day yesterday, too. He did. A couple of hits for him yesterday. He's been, uh, after a really tough start, his numbers have been pretty good uh, yeah. just like everybody else is here well, that's just, something you, you mentioned early is like they having so much better at bats and when you say they you literally mean all of them because it's not just been julio it's not just been a tire suarez like it means the top to the bottom of the lineup with jp out everybody's picked it up they have and hitting is contagious and all of those things are are sort of a part of it and and you get Rojas and you get better you know production from your bench and second base and DH and you know what I what I said yesterday and this is why I I just think what's happened is so interesting is the Mariners have clearly changed out some of the personnel I mean this this roster does not look like it did on opening day but they haven't really changed out the style. They haven't changed out the quality, right? I mean, like it's not like they went out and moved on from Colton Wong and brought in a five-time All-Star, you know, twenty-eight-year-old, huge contract second baseman. They went younger and cheaper at second base, and it's working better, right? For all of the oh, the Mariners don't spend money. Well, guess what? Colton Wong cost a lot more money than the guys playing second base now and having a lot of success. Right? True, yeah. 
I, I mean, AJ Pollock cost a lot more money than Cade Marlowe and Dominic Canzone. So it's not just about money. It's about finding the right guys. And I think the Mariners did a decent job with their strategy. They unfortunately didn't execute it very well, which we saw with, with Pollock and Wong and a couple of other guys. So now all of a sudden you find them here two games out. It's a pretty good spot to be on uh, on August 22nd. I wanted to come back to something I heard from Cal Raleigh there, though. And I don't know if it jumped out to you yesterday while you were listening or if it jumped out to you a couple of minutes ago. But in asking him about the trade deadline, he said, hey, I'll be honest with you, that move wasn't real popular here in the clubhouse. We didn't like it. I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. Of course they didn't like it. Paul, Nobody liked it. Paul Seewald is a great dude. And if all of us felt his absence and his loss, can you imagine how much more so that was felt in that clubhouse? where there is a brotherhood, where they have hung out with him every day for the last three, four years. Yeah, three years. Of course, mm-hmm. of course that's not going to be popular. You're trading I'll away. i kind of concerned if he's like, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, we traded Paul. It's fine. <laughs> We're good. Yeah, like, picked yeah. up right where we left off. He, he absolutely, like, there's, this is not a shot at all. Like, I, I, I totally get where he's coming from and where any player would be coming from when they hear that. I, I also get the sense that they recognized why it had to happen, understood that if they had started this hot streak a lot earlier, maybe things would have gone differently, and it would have been a different kind of a trade at the deadline. And I think, you know, in, if, if somebody were to sit down with them and explain 33-year-old reliever with just over a year of control left for two young guys that can really help at two different positions plus a prospect – I think almost everybody would understand the value proposition and why Jerry DePoto did it. I think that where it gets interesting and where, you know, it's going to be a conversation down the road is I have no doubt that the Mariners are a better team, more well-rounded team today than they were before the trade deadline. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I truly believe it. They needed Rojas. They needed a better left-handed option at second base. They needed another option in the outfield based on where they were at and what you were getting at that point from Teo. I still think there's going to come a time, as Mike Ford is you know, Mike Ford, that we're going to see Teo DH more often than play right field, and you're going to need Kelnick and Canzone and Marlowe and all of those guys to find you know a, a, their spots in the outfield. So... I think that's the right move to make. I also think, and I'm sure Jerry would say this if he were here right now or Justin Hollander or anybody else, there will come a time in the playoffs, if this team makes it or late in September, where we're all going to look at each other and go, damn, it'd be real nice to have Paul Seawald right now. Oh, no doubt. Right? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. he's a good pitcher. Uh-huh. He's a good player. And if you want to get value, you've got to give up some value in order to get it. They didn't want to give up a lot of prospect value. I understand why. The team had not shown them to that point that they were worth investing more long-term assets into this year. But they also hadn't shown them that they weren't worth investing in this year. And so they sort of did something in between. It's not usually a good idea to be in between. In this case, I think they did it as well as they could have given the information they had. But it would be interesting to know how that would have changed if they were in their current spot. Like, what would they do with the deadline if the deadline was today instead of 
three weeks ago. Right, I was just going to bring that up. I was like, I was thinking back to would how what would the team look like differently with Teo gone right now? Like if they had played Very. better, and if if Teo had you know had had a better first half, at what position and how do you make up what he puts in that lineup too? Because you. That to me is a, is something that jumps out right away. Oh, of course they decided to keep the guy, and that, yeah, that which is why I was like, God, I don't want to do anything at the deadline. Like so, I wasn't willing to. Well, and and maybe you would have been right. I don't know, man. I think they really needed the second base help, and yeah. Zone's been. I, I don't a disagree big part with that. What they've done. I just think I wonder what Jerry Depoto would do if he had another deadline today. Would he go out and trade for a Paul Seawald type of a player? Probably. Like it, it maybe another starter. Just given some of the health issues they've had even since then with first Wu and then and then Hancock going down, maybe. It'd be interesting to see if they had a, you know, August twenty fifth deadline in addition to an August first deadline, what Jerry DePoto would do. What would you do? I'd probably be looking for another reliever, honestly, which is frustrating, obviously, given what they what they did at the deadline. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not saying they did the wrong thing. It's just a little frustrating because now you kinda kind of want to have uh, another guy who can help you out in the bullpen. Right. And another thing is, like, Seawald was a kind of a symbol of what the Mariners can do to a player, too, right? Like, when, yes. when they got him and turned him around. So you have to imagine that that has some impact when he when he leaves a clubhouse for a guy that is a living example of, hey, the, follow what is being told here because this is something that can turn your career. Well, and, and we may very well see it with the next guy, though, right? Because totally, just exactly. as much as you, you can use it as a, oh, you know, he was a shining example, it also means, yeah, maybe Trent Thornton is the next guy. Or, you know, maybe it's Sacedo who has shown so much improvement over the course of this year. Or maybe it's going to be this guy Bizardo who actually has got a pretty nasty slider. I don't know. We'll wait and find out. But it just uh, kind of struck me that if they had another opportunity to do it again now – after doing what they did the first time, that maybe it would be uh, a different a different kind of a move that Jerry would make at if there was a new deadline. The thing right. that jumped out to me really quickly was yeah, yeah, that he, Cal, sorry, sort sort of admitted, yeah, we got bit by the bad luck bug. I was like, God, thank you. <laughs> just a, a bit validating. Well, nobody hear. wants to hear that. No, right? but it, I mean, but it is true. Like, of course, just, it's true. I, I mean, know I, it. I said it yesterday. But being able to bury it as that help is helpful for me. I mean. That's what it was. There was a lot of bad luck earlier this year. A lot of the hits came at the wrong time. A lot, like That's sort of how it goes sometimes in baseball. Yesterday we went through the biggest reasons the Mariners turned it around since July 1st, and my number one reason is just that's baseball. Good players go through bad stretches and good ones. And thankfully, the Mariners right now are in about as good a stretch as you're going to be in. They've won seven in a row right after winning eight in a row. This is a team on fire, and they are just two games back right now this morning in the division. We'll come right back. Brock is here. We're getting ready for Geno Smith at 730. We've got Jeff Passan, who's been going back and forth with about the Rangers at 830. We've got Josh Rojas at 930. Stick around. It's Brock and Salk.